0: This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. Welcome back to our panel. Last week, we started to give our introductions and George wasn't here, so George, it's time for you to give your makeup introduction.
2: Thanks for this opportunity. Um, Hi everybody, my name is George. I grew up in the church, um, having come out of uh, Pioneer Stock way back in Utah history. My family was in the Willie Handcart Company, and growing up I had lots of opportunities to learn about uh, the ancestry there. I went to junior high and high school in Utah County, um, worked as a counselor, especially for youth. I met my uh, future wife there and and then uh, went and served a mission. Came back, uh, she was still waiting around for me. So we got married in Salt Lake Temple, continued on and finished up at BYU. I'm still an avid BYU football fan still married to the same woman, um, I have three kids, and uh, my oldest attends uh, BYU today. Um, my church calling life has been focused on what I would call mostly service callings. Uh, I've served in every position on the Young Men's Org, uh, I did a few years of it as Elder quorum President. These are service callings in the, the fact that you know, you, you're serving your fellow man, you're not really serving learning doctrine. I had an opportunity to, to do a doctrine calling in the last five years, I've been an early morning seminary teacher. Um, So I had to spend a lot of time learning church history and doctrines in order to teach my class. And it was kind of during this time when I saw a lot of portions of uh, doctrine and history that were left out of the CES material. And I started doing research into history, um, literature, things that uh, I would find in the CES material that would bounce me into the church history um, websites and and really kind of non-correlated church history material. And I started questioning a lot of areas outside of traditional teaching uh, material on it, and it really led me down to have a, a miniature crisis of faith that kind of developed later into a full-blown crisis of faith, and and I'm probably beyond that crisis mode now and, and trying to help other people who are approaching, involved with, or, or really struggling with a, with what I would call traditional testimony.
1: Okay, great. And tonight we have a another special guest, the rose among the thorns, as it were, the lovely and talented Zilpha.
0: Well, I don't know about all that. I am John's wife, Zilpha. I grew up in Mormonism. Uh, I was born a Mormon, raised a Mormon, although it was not in Utah. And I actually think that being um, LDS in the mission field made my being a Mormon even a a bigger part of my identity, because the church was everything to my family. We didn't have extended family around. The church was our our family. It was everything to us. After high school, I I did move to Utah to attend BYU, where I met John, and I graduated from BYU. I married John in the temple, and it's been um, almost 13 years and right now I spend most of my time being a mom. We have two super kids. I migrated with John out of the church. It took us a long time, but it's been about four years ago, I think. But my parents and the rest of my six siblings are still very active members of the church.
1: All right. Okay, today we're going to take a little bit of a different direction. I've asked the panel to each share a list of their three favorite things about the church. These may be things that uh, we all still enjoy, things that we miss, things that we admire, or things we think the church is exceptional about. Steve Hassan is the author of the book Combating Cult Mind Control, and he has suggested that one of the signs that you might be in a cult is that you find it difficult or impossible to think critically about the leadership. I want to make sure the members of the panel are not in the cult of anti-Mormonism, inasmuch as they can't think of anything positive to say about the church. Maybe first, I want to hear what you all thought about the assignment. Did you find it easy or hard, or or what did you think about the assignment?
3: I made a pretty big list.
2: I came up with about six or seven items that just popped off the, the top of my head and thought I would answer, have more of them. But this was a very fun assignment that you gave us a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I've actually really enjoyed trying to see how many I could come up with and how many of them that were, could be turned and, and viewed negatively, which was, which was really interesting.
4: I also had a hard time cutting down the, the number to a manageable three. It turns out there's a lot of good things about the church.
1: Okay, George, how about we start with you?
2: So thanks for letting me go first. This is George. The first one that I came up with was the fact that within the LDS Church, we tend to have answers to many of the um, theological questions that uh, face society. Um, We have many of the unknowns of universal questions, and we can find answers for them. I've always found this to be very satisfying. When I was deeply accepting of, of all LDS doctrines, it just felt so great to know that we had most of the answers, you know, we've got the answer for what happens in the plan of salvation, you know, where we were before, why we're here, where we're going. Um, We have answers for how the earth was formed, the early days, what happened um, in the formation of the earth, you know, how man was created. We know what kind of our purpose will be after this life. Um, We even have answers down to, you know, where, Hitler and and folks like that are going to end up. Um, we know where Christ will appear, and if we have questions about deep theological questions, we often can ask and find answers at some point that's been given by some prophet or an apostle somewhere in the last you know 180 years that has has talked about that concept.
1: So the emotional assurance of having answers rather than the fact that all those answers might be right.
2: Absolutely. It's the emotional side of it. It's, an, it's knowing that we have a little bit of more knowledge than maybe our counterparts outside the church would know. I always um, had a little joke as I start to, to get to know my, my Christian neighbors. They always had the necklaces and the, the jewelry that said WWJD what would Jesus do and that the LDS always had the answer you know it was always choose the right ctr regardless of whether the answer was right or not it was just the fact that we knew but do you know <laughs> <laughs> now sitting where i am now i'm i yeah i absolutely do question the fact of, of whether all those things are Correct or not, but it is a wonderful thing about being in the LDS Church and being deeply involved in accepting of its doctrines. When you're there, it's such a, a safe and reassuring place to be.
5: No, don't get me wrong. I I do agree. When you're in the LDS Church, or at least when I was in the LDS Church, you did know. You know, you knew for sure. Yep. And so that reassurance was was a good feeling but as i began to study and to delve into some deep questions that i had that assuredness disappeared
1: yeah but don't you miss it sometimes I'm yeah
2: going- i do i do Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's one of the things that, that's been most troubling. I think that's where when people go through this thing that's called a crisis of faith, I think that's one of the first things. I think that's one of the, the pillars that all of a sudden tumbles is, gee, maybe, you know, yesterday I knew all these things. Today I just believe them. Tomorrow I might not even believe some of them. What am I going to think? And, and man, I think that's, of the, the, where this crisis comes from. Next that I would go into as my second one was the fact that we have this lay ministry that everyone in the organizational structure seems to have a job to do um, from basically the time that you are 12 years old. And up, there's a good opportunity that you will be in in a position of responsibility, or assignment, or learning some valuable skills about human interaction. Um, whether that be leadership opportunities, whether that be followership opportunities, because it's, it's just important to follow. Everybody has a role and a responsibility. Um, I find this a little bit um, disconcerting as I go to um, to visit other churches down. Um, as I look at some some of my friends in the evangelical groups, um, when I realize that of the two thousand people that may attend there on a Sunday really about twenty of them have any kind of a of a role or a responsibility or a position. Most of the people are just there to listen to the worship and then they get up and they leave. I, I like that opportunity for that I had when I was growing up in the church. I've liked the opportunity that my children have had um to kind of learn um what it feels like to be in an organization. Third one would be, I really like that everywhere you go in the church, that you find it kind of have an opportunity to find a ready-made set of like-minded people in what I'd call a semi-social environment. In other words, if I pick up my family and move across the country or across the world, um, within just a few days, I can find myself in a, a church setting where I can find people who will have similar beliefs, that I can go out to dinner with them, that uh, we would all have similar ideas in and, and re- relationship to a lot of common beliefs and structure. Where it doesn't always work out perfect, um, in fact, I'm sure most people have had opportunities where they've moved into a ward and, and found that they don't have anything common with anybody, Uh, Generally, you can move into an area, and that ward becomes a uh, replacement for a family. You can start um, getting to know a few people and uh, quickly develop a social network outside of the church as well as inside. And I I think that's always been a comforting thing as I've moved to new areas of the country to be able to know that I could meet people fairly quickly.
1: Jim, how about yours? Okay. Okay.
5: So, my first choice was community. And I say community in the sense of an organization of individuals that are around a common purpose. Yes, you can get that from other sources, but Mormonism was the community that I was born into. And so, it's the one that I can use to learn somewhat what community is you know in addition to other communities such as formal more formal ones such as work and and school, but Mormonism itself taught me about individuals getting together for a common purpose and achieving common goals, organizing to do service projects, for instance, uh, for scouting for meeting girls. <laughs> It was an opportunity to meet like-minded individuals and you know have a common purpose. My second one is business. Specifically, I learned a lot about business when I was uh, on my mission because it was the relationship between the LDS church and a corporation or a business uh, was made explicitly by uh, both mission presidents that I served under what I mean by that is that they didn't come out and say that the LDS church was a business, but they said that it operated like a business.
1: So, so for you, the church is kind of like business training and embryo. You, you learned how to operate in a corporate world from it.
5: Yeah, I I would say so. You know, I I learned structure from it. uh, You know, and, you know, like I said, a lot of this was done on my mission, you know, because you're you're living and breathing it 24 hours a day, you know, and, and that is this.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I would agree. I think
2: learning about the church um, and uh, learning how to operate in a structure, um, I think the mission field was a good opportunity to learn that command and, and uh, report structure that's so common and, and used in a lot of businesses where you need to um, go out, you need to do a task, and then you need to r- turn and report. I mean, that's that's common stuff that's taught in the schools of how to take direction from above, and I think that's why a lot of missionaries probably have a little le- might have a little leg up. Very true. Yeah. I'll go on to my third
5: So when I was a 16-year-old kid at a uh, kind of a summer camp during high school, I was introduced to a book called The King of Solomon, the King, and it was related to me by the individual who introduced me to this book that Joseph Smith was wearing a Jupiter talisman at the time he was was killed at, at Carthage, and this kind of stuck with me for a little while. I didn't know how, where how to take that. I, I read up on you know the King of Solomon, the King, and um, other folk magic that Joseph Smith had participated in, and it, it became kind of a hobby before my mission. Uh, you know, I, it was actually this that I, I came across things like the Kinderhook plates, Zelf the Lamanite, and other kind of very interesting topics. And so when I was out on my mission, and you know prior to that, we attended the temple. So that, that kind of mysticism that permeates a, a lot of the kind of the meat of Mormonism came into play. You know, and even to this day, it, it fascinates me. And and so from this uh, fascination with it. I gained an interest in Freemasonry. Uh, when I had moved to the Mid-South, I became introduced to an individual who was who was also a Freemason. And we got to talking about the fraternity, and I asked him, you know, what would it take to, to become a Freemason? Because it, it, it had always been something that I wanted to get introduced to. From there, I was uh, initiated into the Blue Lodge. It's been a part of my life for the past... Two years now, without Mormonism, I don't think I would have been directly interested in Freemasonry.
1: So you're a Mason right now? Yes, I am. Zilpha, why don't you go ahead with your three?
0: I've found that um, I've missed a lot of things about the church. I would say music. I really enjoyed singing the hymns with the the congregation, the hymns that I heard ever since I was a baby that were so familiar to me. And even though I I didn't like it at the time, even the sound of the, of the little organ playing, we go to, um, the Unitarian church now and they have, you know, a piano. It's just not quite the same. And also the, uh, primary songs, I miss them for my kids. I feel bad that my kids don't have the kind of, um, singing structure, time outside of school that, that I did. I really enjoyed that when I was in primary. I don't even feel like I can um, teach my kids the songs that I grew up loving because I now see those um, songs as a form of indoctrination that I don't want to impart to them. Number two, the continuity of belief among the members, or at least the perception of such. And again, with the Unitarian Church that we go to, the continuity of belief is actually discouraged. That's actually why we feel comfortable attending there, because we don't want anybody telling us what we should believe anymore. Still, sometimes I miss that feeling of belonging to a group that everybody I perceive as believing the same thing as I do And number three, I always enjoyed the feeling of thinking that something huge and important was just around the corner, like a new revelation or new scriptures or signs of the second coming. And I was always really interested in, you know, what, what might be coming from God? What might be, if I go listen to the conference, what will what will I hear that's really important? And, um, it just made life a little bit more exciting. I don't have that kind of excitement in my life anymore. Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that, huh?
3: that did, because I, I hear, I understand what you're saying as far as the excitement and stuff. But so when you went to uh state conference or watch general conference or whatever, did, were you ever let down? Because um, some of the biggest, what is it, some of the biggest uh, hard-hitting revelations in the last little while was like President Hinckley giving that Book of Mormon read it in a year.
0: Uh, yeah, and- well, those were a little disappointing. But I knew that just around the corner, the next time, there really would be something exciting. I always, you know, just kept up that hope for the next time. Uh, until I realized that that just probably was, was not going to happen. That probably happened before I left the church, too, where I finally realized that conference was just basically boring. But I, I missed that feeling, nevertheless. Or like if there was a storm outside, an especially fierce storm, thinking, oh, a sign of the second coming. You know, it was exciting.
5: It was always around the corner. Yeah,
0: exactly.
1: See, that, that was always like a fear for me. That wasn't, a, that wasn't anything positive. You know, that, something was always going to happen, and I didn't want it to.
0: <laughs> you were hiding under your bed. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> what righteous ones
4: there, John. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know. Maybe I'm just a thrill seeker.
1: All right. I'll go ahead with mine. Uh, the first one that I came up with is the doctrine of the divinity of man. I think this is Mormonism's crown jewel and puts it on par with like a lot of Eastern religions. The idea that there's the divine that separates itself from mankind, but that separation is only a matter of time, that we're not fundamentally different, that we can become, we can achieve, we can reach through good practice and good faith and all sorts of things. We have the full potential to become anything. That's at the heart of Mormonism, and it's at the heart of people who've grown up in the church and been in the church a long time. I think they still hold that deep. Unfortunately, for some reason, the church wants to distance itself from that. And I I think that's what they should be, like, pounding. That's what they should be highlighting, because I think that's probably Joseph Smith's most powerful teaching.
5: I think I know what you mean. It's almost like an act of becoming— Right, That was very strong, and and I know exactly what you mean, that there is always progression in life.
1: I think I understand the doctrine of grace, and I think there's beauty in that doctrine. But I see that the, the fundamental Mormon thing of being able to overcome that yourself through the aid of uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, but the fact that it's you who's ultimately going to prevail, I mean, that's a very sort of Eastern thought. And unfortunately, I think the Church in the last, especially 20 or 30 years, has tried to get closer to that sort of standard grace and use that language, and I think that's diluting what made Mormonism so vibrant and so real for the people in the 19th century.
2: Yeah, it's this its this opportunity to become better than you are, And especially in the 19th century. That was the big thing that was spawning so much of the growth in the nation, is is there was this desire to... To make something better of this space, and so it really caught on. And I, I, I concur with you that's a it's a strong incentive to be involved with the LDS faith.
1: Well, you know, now in the church we say families are forever, and we talk about that starting after we all die. Um, and in the 19th century, that was starting now. I mean, those guys were they were starting their kingdoms by marrying all the wives and having the children eternity was now for those guys. They were literally building the kingdom of God. It wasn't something that's going to happen as a fabulous reward for right living. They were they were working at it. And in a lot of ways, that's, that's a beautiful theology. My second one is that, you know, for the most part, I think Mormons are just good people. I run into Mormons from time to time. One of my favorite things about them is they're just down to earth and they're trustworthy and you know they're going to be I'm loyal, and they know they're going to be kind. And for the most part, they're not real judgmental. I mean, especially if they know that they know nothing about you being ex Mormon or anything like that. They tend to be caring. Uh, Mormons sacrifice a lot. Now, I do leave an exception for the Mormon executives that I've met. A lot of the Mormon executives don't necessarily fall into that. But for the most part, Mormon people are just plain old good people.
3: <laughs> you haven't been living in Utah County for a very long time,
2: that was going to be my comment. I lived there for
3: three months,
2: last, four months last year, and I would disagree with everything you just <laughs> said from Utah County perspective.
3: Come on, George. Easy. Easy. Well,
2: okay. With the exception of two exceptional people that I met there.
0: <laughs> and I would counter also that just because they're acting as though they are good people, they're trying to be good people, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are Good people, and just maybe the fact that when I was in the church, I expected everybody to be trustworthy. I just expected that, and just having that expectation sometimes makes it real, at least, you know, to me.
3: I think that, uh, you know, when you were talking about good people, I mean, I only laugh— I mean, I I do agree with you in principle. I do think that most Mormons are are actually really good people, and they do come through in the clutch and things like that. I mean, I guess for me, living in Utah County, I hear on the news, you know, about all these Ponzi schemes going belly up, and ninety percent of them are are LDS and kind of recruited in their wards and their families, and I don't know. I mean, I guess it's all on the timing, but for me. Right about now is not a good time to say that uh, the majority of LDS are fantastic, upstanding individuals, but my feelings change on that from time to time.
0: I do think that they may try harder to be good people than um, other groups, and so just by trying harder, they may actually achieve, you know, to some degree.
5: Yeah, I, I think Mormons are very good at acting when it comes to their, their public presence. I think they try really hard and they're sincere but at the same hand they're some of the most caddy people that i know you know
4: personally yeah. if if they were so accepting why is there such a big deal when you tell them that you're leaving the church
1: yeah well, i think that's probably a whole another topic for a whole another day uh, <laughs> i'm i'm uh, i'm surprised that my mormons are good people was the most controversial line of the of the evening of it, but all I, think, right. I
4: think it was the implication that they are better people than average for me that set me off.
1: Okay, here's number three, and this one might sound a little weird, and, um, and it's coming from my experience in the Unitarian Church. Mormons know how to run a church. Uh, what I mean by that is they run it with efficiency. In the Unitarian Church, we're really participatory, just like uh, the Mormons were. Everything is run by the members, and there's plenty of opportunity to serve, and most of the people serve, and... Um, you know, we're really involved in the church, but man, everything's in committee and we have to find curriculum and we have to debate how much money people are gonna pay and we have to oh, this and that and the other. And you know, it just works. Everybody knows it's ten percent. You know, you can argue about gross or gross or net, but it's still ten percent and the curriculum is there and it's all printed, and there's enough copies and the lights are on and the chairs are there and man, Mormons know how to run a church. Nile Uh, You have your three?
4: Okay, it's my turn. The the first one's already been sort of uh, gone over. My number one is that the doctrine is bold. It it attempts to answer all the questions that are inherent to Christianity and religion. You know, all the tough questions. I think we sort of touched on that already. I I also note uh, eternal progression and uh, specifically how God relates to other peoples. But uh, Mormonism attempts to bring a very foreign people into the fold of Christ. And I think that's a really good thing that they try to do. Also, the idea of uh, the restoration, which is uh, really nice to see. When when you look at the original documents surrounding Christianity, I think one of the first things that you notice is sort of a jarring difference between how it was and how it is or or why there are so many different sects. And I think the restoration is an excellent attempt. Now, let me stress that it's an attempt to uh, account for that. The long and short of it is it's the best fan fiction ever. This is something that you read everywhere on the internet. It it really does close the circles. Second, I think one of the bet – I'm going to have to disagree with the eternal progression point that uh, John brought up about becoming gods. I think the greatest thing that the church teaches doctrinally is about free agency. Uh, The idea that we're all being tested on earth, it's a fundamental rejection of determinism. It's a celebration of what it I think it is to be a human, our, our ability of free thought, our ability to reason and uh, our our ability to envision really I think freedom is the greatest thing I think the church has to give to the world
5: i I think the the tragic part about it is that there is no choice i mean especially if you're born born into Mormonism and you don't come in as a convert if you you come from a family that is very indoctrinated in the lds church you know it it goes back to that bizarro world mentality to where the lds plan is satan's plan there is no other choice you are pigeonholed into a course of action that there is no escape from and you are not given any choice
3: you don't need to, making the making the church sound like a prison, man.
5: Well, in a way, it is. It, it certainly can be. You know, the LDS Church to me was very. Yes, you know, you, you you had your your free agency, just as long as you obeyed
3: the church's rules.
5: You can do uh-huh. anything I want, just as long as you do what I say. <laughs>
3: I mean, I guess I guess I can understand your perspective sort of I, I don't know. I, I think that I've always been able to pretty much choose what I want. I mean, I don't feel like that the church has necessarily squashed my free agency or anything. so
0: The only issue I have with the idea of um, free agency is that um, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who really don't have free agency, people with mental illness. Uh, they they really don't have that, so to me it um, it doesn't really work.
1: You know, I I see where you're going, Nile, with the idea of free agency. But here's my my issue: you ever gone to one of those movies? You know, where they blow a lot of stuff up, and you know you're there, you're watching the movie, and the cars are running around, and everything's catching on fire, and you're you're into the movie, and you're thinking that's a great movie, and you walk out of the theater, then you start saying, wait a minute. And then you immediately start coming up with all these plot holes and then the movie just starts kind of falling apart while you're in it. It's really great and it's a really cool movie, but immediately it like on reflection, the movie starts to fall apart and it's no good anymore. That's kind of like the doctrine of free agency to me. It sounds great on paper, but when you actually start thinking it through, you know, like Zilpha said, you start running into all the problem cases.
4: My third one is about the courage that the church used to have. Um, in the face of overwhelming odds, the church always would do its best to see to through what it thinks is right. When uh, polygamy was the principle of the gospel and the means to salvation, by golly, it practiced polygamy. When uh, Brigham Young was God's steward on earth, by golly, he's going to stand up to the United States government during the Utah War. Uh, this is the old sort of the church that uh, divide, defied the government to, to do what's right, and they broke the man-made laws to do it. Um, Now it sort of feels like the church might be overemphasizing the article of faith about honoring, sustaining, and all that. Uh, To me, there's something heartening about doing what's right no matter
1: what. Okay, Tom, bring this one in, my brother. You're the last.
3: (laughs) Saving the best for last. I couldn't come up with three, man. I think there's so much good in the church. I have this huge list. I'm not even sure where to start. The, uh, I mean, I, it, I'm sure some of you guys actually honest, but I really like the family values, the emphasis on family. I think that, uh, I know that's probably the number one for everybody, but I actually like it. I think a family is good. Maybe it gets a little excessive in the church with the whole prop A thing, but for the most part, I like the, the family value thing. So um, wait,
1: let, let me ask you a question before you move on. What, right. when you say family values, I mean, what? I know what I'm thinking of. What what are you thinking of?
3: The The promotion of the standard family, you know, like a husband, wife, and kids. The proclamation to the family. For the most part, I think that's a good document.
1: Okay, fair yeah. enough.
3: Are, are you an exception?
1: Am, am I an exception to the proclamation to the family? Yeah. No, we're pretty nuclear around here, I suppose.
2: I think it's one of those statements that came out and goes back to when the day when the church was bold and wanted to come out with their view and, and come up with some principles and some um, guidelines and make a statement. Um, I, I may not necessarily agree with every statement that's in there, but I'll sure fight for the right of any church to come out and come up with a doctrine or a policy or a what have you, something like a family proclamation that really takes a bold stance and says, this is what we say.
1: I think, Tom, what you're saying with the core family values, you know, that children need parents and parents need to pay attention to the kids and we need to look after each other and families are good and they're the foundation of society. All that's fine with me, but I guess the problem I have when you start saying a family has to be this, it has to be one man one woman, and we'll ignore all the cases like divorces and widows and single parents and people just trying. And then there's, of course, the whole issue about as the families kind of disintegrate that it's causing destruction in the world. I mean, that's just baloney. But I I think emphasis on core family values, I I would agree with that.
4: The the other problem with the proclamation is that it's amazingly Western you know, anthropology, when you study how families are constructed across the world and across time, the nuclear family is almost unheard of.
5: Yeah, I I think the image of of the LDS Church as being a very family-centric organization is, it is a front. It's not necessarily the rule. It's the ideal, but it's not the actual case.
1: I mean, I, I can see that, especially as an accusation against the institutional church, but... I, I do think, to Tom's point, I think that, and this is to my Mormons are good thing that none of you agreed with anyway, um, that the Mormons <laughs> tend to be that way. I, I think they they try and they strive to be good fathers and good mothers, and they the ideal's not met, but I, I think there's something there.
0: They have a huge investment, um, really, in their family when they look at it from they're going to be with these people forever. So it's not just till death do us part for them. It, they have a real reason to put a lot of investment and energy into making it the best that it can be.
3: Um, my second one, I like I like this one just because, uh, one, none of you guys brought it up, and it actually was cool to me, how the church answers the question, what about those people that never heard the gospel? And the LDS Church, our church, has uh, an answer to that, and that's the work for the dead in the temple. I know it's kind of a, a touchy-feely kind of a topic and it kind of draws controversy on occasion, but I like that. I like the fact that the LDS church is the only church that says, oh yeah, all you other religions? Well, what about all the people that didn't join your church? Well, we got a solution to that problem. I think that's great.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a strong doctrine for the church. I think it's a strong position.
2: I went to lunch a couple weeks ago with my, uh, a friend of mine who's, uh, pastor at their church. And I asked him that exact question. I said, what do you think about all the people who never hear about Christianity and and um, never learn about Christ? And he says, well, you know, this isn't I don't know this, but this is what I think. And he basically went ahead and talked about just exactly what you just said, Tom, is understanding and being taught these things and being taught about Christ after they die so they could accept or reject him at that point. And I was just like, whoa, what a concept, you know, and he would, but he was having to say, now this is just me. I don't know if I, this is right. I don't know if this is really right. Even though we were really talking there and we we're having a great lunch and talking about the Savior and talking about things about Christ, this was something where it was just like, yeah, this is one of the things that's really good about being a, an LDS member is we kind of figure that one out.
3: The last one, I mean, like I said, I have a huge list and I'm and I'm sitting there looking at my list and I'm trying to take my pick, but I think I'll go with the plan of salvation. I think it's kind of cool, and I know some of you guys touched on it, but I think it's kind of cool to know that there was a pre existence, We came from somewhere. We're gonna go somewhere, and everybody's gonna be slotted on this wide variety of uh, of wherever you choose to be. And and even if you're a total jerk and uh, murderer or whatever, there's still some some place for you to go that might not be so bad. I think that's I think that's
1: good. I like it. Plus, it fits on a flannel board. (laughs) 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 For all you youngsters, you can Google flannel board. (laughs)
5: Yeah, I'm old enough to know what a flannel board is.
1: All right. So I think we've um, thoroughly established that some of you are still apostates and uh, in the cult of (laughs) anti-Mormonism. So any, any final thoughts?
3: Are are there are there any of you that on the board that uh when you're gathering your list thought, you know what, there's a lot more good in the church, maybe I ought to give it another shot.
0: Every day when I drive by the church I think maybe I should give it another shot. And then I think more clearly about it and realize that it's just not possible to go back once you've uh, you know, discovered um, you know, some of the things that we have.
5: Yeah, the that has gone. And even a year before I I stopped attending, I just, I found it very difficult to even sit through church.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. It's kind of like trying to believe Herculean myths is true. I can appreciate the myth. I can study it to my heart's content. I just can't believe the thing.
2: So Tom, it's an interesting question for you and I that are both still, still attending on a regular basis. When you bring up that question and say, does that does this topic make me want to go more often or feel better about it when I do is, is a really intriguing one because as I started going through this, and, and even as I, as I listen back through this podcast, I'm sure I'm going to be able to hear the excitement in my voice about some of these things that are really cool. But I think it, for me, it goes back to that. The term I've often heard since I started this journey is, does emotion invoke testimony? I can get emotional and I can have a wonderful feeling about something experiential in the LDS faith. But that does not necessarily lend me to go for all tenets of it and demonstrate 100% devotion in, in the thing. And I think that would be my answer to that is I can love an aspect, but it doesn't necessarily render the whole thing as being true. What about you? I mean, that's that's my
3: perspective from
2: those of us that are still kind of hanging around. What's what's your take on this, on this topic?
3: Well, I, I mean, I guess you know since we've started this podcast, I'm kind of the outsider, sort of that uh, I still go, and that uh, especially I feel like Jim had red eyes and could shoot me with lasers. He probably would, but uh, I think that it's actually not so bad. I mean, sometimes I go. And it's really not that bad. Sometimes I think that, you know, I take good things, I take bad things. But, you know, it's good to make a good, positive list like this. So I have to give John some credit because he's actually keeping me in the church instead of pushing me away. So nice job, John. I appreciate it.
1: I'm glad I could give my (laughs) role.
3: (laughs) Uh, Tom, let me just
5: make sure that we're we're cool and all. (laughs) So I... I, uh, (laughs) I, I just want to make make sure that you know that you know I understand your situation. I can relate to to your position.
3: So you're not actually full of as much anger as sometimes it sounds like.
5: <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I'm yeah, I'm right very uh, I'm
3: very emotional. <laughs> well, I'm giving you a cyber hug right now. All right.
1: Aw, that's pretty t- that's pretty tender, guys. I'm I'm tearing up a little bit. <laughs> Okay, I think if anything the this has been a good discussion and it's shown that there is no strong consensus among members and apostates and uh ex-Mormons and whatever else we might be that uh we've talked about a lot of things kind of all over the board and I think that shows the uh more of why the topic is interesting. Thanks everyone again for your participation today.
5: Thank you, John.
2: Thanks and
1: all right, remember the discussion continues at mormonexpression.com. Check out the blog there for links to the information discussed and to continue the discussion. Remember, you can call and leave a message for us. We'll be happy to play that on the podcast. The number is 801-906-6722, or you can email us your comments or audio for future podcasts to mail at mormonexpression.com. Our music is provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Thanks again.